0: morning, everybody.
1: Oh, the greatest day of history
2: We start the block party at 2:30. Uh, we do have a membership meeting briefly after. There are currently no motions on there, but the opportunity for membership to just kind of make sure get ourselves organized. So we don't we really do much in the way of announcements now, but there's that. Um, also, those of us who are joining us on Facebook today, 2:30 today. We'll start the block party. We are baptizing at the end of the block party, and the baptismal, the big silver trough thing. Is in the back of the station van. That will be hauled out, set up, and then we're going to fill it with warmer water from downstairs out of the basement. is the plan. So, so I don't want to leave it sitting outside here in service. Um, and then at the same time, we're they, going to, to, to. Oh, uh, Jeff Sheldon and his family, praise God! And I don't know if they're on. It's Jeff, if you're on, great. Uh, but he, he and his family will be coming this afternoon and doing face painting. And they have said that if there is anyone amongst us. That uh, wants to learn face painting. I mean, they don't just paint faces, obviously, they paint faces and use the colors of the paint to share the gospel to talk about Jesus. If anybody would like to do that, uh, you can do it in the future as a minister. You train to do that, and then you can do that, and they'll be here. And then Jeff is also bringing their power, which is three things God cannot do. So cool lighthouse thing that they have. So they're coming this afternoon, all those well, they're coming to be here. And uh, we've had a number of responses to text and things, folks saying they're coming. Uh, we'll do some more promotion, obviously. We did a lot of flyering and stuff, and so we're pretty excited about what it might be like. I just ask you to pray with me if you do that. On a separate side note, uh, you may or may not realize it, I hope you do, but Podcast Garden operates the New school ship Back to the and East Little Podcast. We are approaching 250 podcasts, but here's the, that's the praise, but here's the prayer request. Currently, their website is down. It has been down all week. So no one has been able to listen to our podcast all week, which you might think is not a huge deal, except that there are dozens, literally dozens of people, close to 100 people, that are listening to that podcast weekly, and that's our full service every week, Is so that's a pretty big deal. Some of the folks in this room listen, but most of those folks, we you can see, they're, they're probably like uh, seventy five to 100 folks to listen to every week, and those are all over the place outside in Toledo and outside of and outside of So so that's, that's become a problem because they want to be able to listen to the podcast. So if podcast guard is not able to heal up, get their problems resolved, then we will have to find another way to do that, which will be a somewhat major nightmare administratively for me, because there are over 240 podcasts on there, and they will all essentially be not available. So there's a way of making them available, working out or whatever, or starting fresh, which would be a real shame if that's the case, but it is, it is. We have a lot of those recordings kept and stuff like that, so... Probably get most of them back, but it'll take a lot of work. So pray that that all gets itself sorted out. Okay? Um, there are some other folks we can name with health concerns that are ongoing. Um, some of them are incredibly significant. And so pray for
0: those who know who they are as I pray this morning. You name them. As I pray for those who are sick and hurting, you name them in your heads, those that you know. Okay? All right, let's pray together, and then we'll go back to
2: the it. Father, I thank you so much for enabling your
0: people.
2: They're so blessed that God's people are a people who can serve, who can work, who can pursue you, know you more, study, pray, meditate, worship, that these spiritual disciplines that you have entrusted us with, they are very empowering. That's the kind of
0: God you are, a God who sets his people up to succeed
2: a God of victory, a great God. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you that we have our weaknesses, have had our weaknesses, have failed to capitalize on the great resources that you've laid at our disposal on a number of occasions. We ask you forgiveness when we've failed. and we know that it's available to you as your time. Thank you for this place. We know we don't have air conditioning, and for the better part of the lives of mankind, people will come together and worship you without air conditioning. We got air movement. We have joy in our hearts. We're grateful for those who are around us. And this building actually is cooler than a lot of buildings
0: because of the way it's constructed.
2: We are grateful. We thank you. I thank you this morning. Lord, we're putting Jason up here with the praise team, that he is now a part, that he's leading us in worship. And I pray, Lord, for every member of the praise team, as they help us. And that they are not our boss, they are not our leaders or our masters. You are a leader and master alone. That they are serving you and serving us. Father, we pray for all those who are sick and murdered, those who couldn't be here with us today. Most right the person who just drove by with their muscles dragging on the ground. I've been there. That's a difficult situation. We pray that it'll get resolved. Father, we pray for those that we know who do not know you. And they probably are our dearest concern. We ask you, Lord, to reach into the lives of everyone. Touch them and draw them to yourself. You
0: know, no one comes to you except for you be called. And so we're asking you, Lord, to do some calling. We praise you for all that you're going to do. We try to worship you and give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: i
2: To talk about how we're bearing the Lord's Word or whatever this week, what I have in my hands is a little booklet called Eternal Life. Okay, now this booklet or one like it that's green um, and it's very very similar, even the pages and laid out similar. There might be slight differences. Is the book that we use to counsel with folks when they make a decision at one of our block parties. Okay. So these booklets we hand out to our folks, hopefully you're one of those folks, and if you're not, you certainly can be, who would be willing to come to somebody when they raise your hand and say, yes, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or I'm reconvening my life, or whatever, okay? So, uh, but before we talk about that, we'll do in a second, I want to flip to the back where it says, tips for new believers. We're we're in our six months, so from May through November, the end of May through the end of November this year, we're talking about meditation. There are three verses that are quoted here in the last part, really four, because the two two are kind of combined together. Uh, This is the first one. It says, there is an enemy, Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Does anybody know what verse that comes from, roughly? John 10.10. Okay, and it's not the whole verse, right? The, the second part is that I have come to have life and have abundantly, right? So we're just going to take this part right here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I'm going to ask somebody to just focus for now I know it's warm in the room, and there's distractions. Kids, look up here at me. We're going to do an activity. Everybody, all together. We're going to try to do this together. Okay. So this is meditation. This is an example of meditation. You take God's word and you think on it. More deeply than normal, right? So the the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So we're going to take the first phrase, the thief. Let me tell me what that means to you. What does the thief mean? Not the whole verse, just the thief. What? I okay, don't know. the thief means
4: to me is
0: that, like, at some point, your enemy will come. Right? Kind of. Right? That's what a thief is someone who takes what doesn't belong to them, right?
2: Okay? That's what you're gonna say? Okay. What about the the? Because a thief is someone who takes, you said a thief, that would be somebody who takes what doesn't belong to them. What about the thief? So that's something different, isn't it? The main thief? You said a person somebody said? Right? If you're the B football player, then that really means something You're like the B football player, right? If you're the marksman, that means something. But if you're a football player or a marksman, that still means something. But the the is more significant. As semantics, it's like a title. The thief. Right? Yes, the title. The thief. So thinking about that. The thief. What does the thief do? Okay? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Okay? Let's start with comes. What does comes mean? Someone comes, what does that mean? Shows up? Alright, it comes to you from somewhere else? He's on his way, it's coming. He comes. Remember, comes would be like he does this continuously. Alright? So if I say uh, the male comes, I say the male comes because it comes today. Right? Okay? So the thief comes. That's what he, this is what he does. He comes. Only was only me. That one purpose for what? One purpose only. If I have only one dollar, only one. Only stands alone. It's not with others. It's, it's only. It's only existence. I have one dollar. So you might think, as you're thinking about it, you might think he comes only. You almost could say he comes alone. But also, his purpose for coming is singular, as we're about to find out. He has only one purpose for coming, and he comes alone. Okay? He doesn't have to come in groups, he doesn't need to. Because in your flesh, he's stronger than you. All right? So, okay, the thief comes only to steal and kill. Let's think about those words for a second. How would you restate that in your own mind?
0: Again? Okay, somebody want to do it? What does it mean to steal and kill? To
4: steal
0: is to take that's not yours. To kill is basically to kill but a Okay, to kill or to destroy or would to give of something. To kill a person? To take everything from stealing. Alright,
2: so that, now that's interesting. Think about this, process this. He said to steal is to take something from somebody, to kill is to take everything from somebody. Think about what you have, okay? Somebody takes your money, you can get more money. You yep. know, like that. Somebody it's takes your car, sense. but if they take your life, you can't get any more money or replacement for anything. Right, that's good, <laughs> see? Something that my when
0: you said, steal and kill. Uh-huh, steal your
2: identity. Okay, could you stealing your identity? killing would do that? Yeah. Well, and... But it it um, Yeah.
0: it's steal your identity. they kill who you are. Alright, right. I don't want you. To. All right, this right. You yeah. Yeah, this thing is steal. Sometimes people steal because they're hungry, right? But steal kill coming Right. Else.
2: Good. Yeah. yeah, you could you could spend time on the words steal and kill, meditating just exactly how. Evil, a person has to be, or a being has to be, to have that as their only purpose. You may think somebody hurt me. You may, you may think about mass killers that you've heard about in the news or bad people that did lots and lots of bad things. People blew up, people, people killed three thousand people one day. or they're bad, they don't compare. He has only one purpose, and you could spend a little time thinking
0: about what it must mean to have only that one purpose. heal evil, evil. There again?
2: End. End. Okay? Taken to the end. Good. And then lastly is destroy. And that's where Jason was going with his idea of destroying things. Right? Relationships are destroyed, etc. etc. So all you can do is, if you're going to meditate on this verse, you can take that verse. Now here's the beauty of it. If you memorize it, you can meditate on it anywhere you are, even though you don't have a Bible. right? One time I was, uh, I pulled into the parking lot of Anderson's in Weberville back years ago when we were living in Michigan, I was driving to port for, for Anderson's. And I pulled into the parking lot, and I was, I had about 15 minutes to spare before my 10 minute window that I was going to get into. so I had about 25 minutes before I had to do work, and I sat there and I began to meditate, really I started with um, kind of the crucifixion, I started with, like, Corinthians uh, 5, 21, right, he made him, he goes in, he's in for us, it, we might become the righteousness of God to him. And I started with that. I was, When I got into the crucifixion, I started thinking about what it meant to be crucified, what crucifixion was like. And before I could get through the whipping, I was already crying. If you can use your mind to focus on the things of God, you can defeat the things of the world. That's what meditation is all about. Yes, you study, and you write things down. You'll discover things. i, I might like, later today, you want to write down that idea that to steal something is to take something from somebody. To kill is to take everything from them. And, of course, that wouldn't be true if they were saved. But that's powerful stuff, right? That's the kind of stuff that you can discover in meditation yourself. And what we just did, everybody could have answered every question, right? Nobody cannot not answer those questions. If you can't define a word, you can look it up in the dictionary. Or you can do this. I've done this on a number of occasions and enjoyed it. Quite well. You could reach out to a friend. You could call a friend and say, "How would you define that?" Right? And they might add something. And then the next time you're meditating, you could remember them saying, "Hey, I would define it this way." Okay? That's meditation. It's not complicated. People think this is Zen Buddhist stuff, or you got to sit down you can't cross your legs. You can't meditate. That's not true, right? However, there are some basic steps. Number one set aside distractions. It's hard to do here because there's a lot of people around us, situational like that. But together as a group, we're still able to kind of work through a simple process. But if you go quietly alone, away from your phone, away from your TV, when you're not overly hungry or when you're not, you know, overly hot or whatever, you should have no problem putting the basic physical things of the world out of your mind and focusing on scripture. Side note, and this is the last thing I'll say about it and then I'm going to talk about this book little bit and I'll be done. And the first thing is um, if you find when you go to meditate on God's word that there are voices in your head and you say, I'm done. I want to focus on God's word. That's what you want to do. And yet, things be oh yeah, I forgot to get gas. Oh yeah, I forgot to buy milk. Oh yeah, it, keeps it. it could be things that you think oh yeah, you need to remember that they're popping into your head. You don't understand. That's this enemy that we're talking about. It may not be Satan. Right? It could be an evil spirit, it could be your flesh, it could be your world system, whatever. There are more than one enemy in a sense. But this enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy alone. That's all he comes for. Those others often use a tactic of distracting. You'll thing, I'll think, oh my goodness, I need to I need to get gas. And I didn't get gas, I'll have to get gas, and I'll have to leave five minutes earlier. When you should be thinking about John Ten. Ten right? So, rebuke that and say, I'm not going to do that. I will not go there. Every time. Don't say, I've heard people say, I'm going to go into meditation. I can't do because everything that pops in my head that I need to do, I write it down. And that's how I remember all the things I need to do. No, that's not what meditation is for. Now, if God says something to you, like, hey, I want you to do this for meditation, or the scripture says something to you, the Bible says, hey, I want you to do this. Then, you take it back to God, make sure you got it to the Lord, and you just do that. Do what it is that God's calling you to do. You make sure it was of the Lord. But if it's get gas when you're trying to meditate about Scripture, that's nothing but a worldly cares or riches thing trying to choke out in your thought process. Right? Don't try to meditate in front of the TV. Don't try to use any book but the Bible. And meditation does not include writing things down. That's study. Right? This is, you have to do the work in your head. It's like when I was growing up, I, we had a landline phone with a little things, still I have one, by the way, but most people don't, but and I knew I had memorized about 110 phone numbers at that time. Now it's like 10. Why? Because my cell phone does it for me, right? So why don't we memorize the word of God? I always have my Bible available, right? Even though I have it on my phone, so it's literally always available to me. That's not the way it works. Your mind is a machine. It should be a well-oiled machine, and you can make it a well-oiled machine by meditating on the Word of God. Set aside some time, give it a try, and watch the amazing things that happen. Okay, now, back to this booklet just briefly, it is this. There are three essential pages in this booklet. If you happen to be doing counseling with somebody in the side yard later today or at any block party ever, there are essentially three pages that are important, and one of them always gets missed. The one that we usually get is this page. This is their personal information, and it's a check boxes for what decision they made today. So you should fill out their name, address, city, state, zip, phone number, sex, that means gender, are they male or female, date of birth, age, there's a box, you not have to get their exact age. but which box they are, are they 18 to 30, are they 31 to 50, are they 51 to adult, mark their marital status, are they single, married, or widower, or some other they want to put in there, that's fine, their spouse's name, if they are married, New Heights' name goes on the Spotsman Local Church line. And then it says, Accepted Christ, your dedication, willing to enroll in Bible study, willing to make the public profession of faith. And if they say, I am, you say, including baptism, right? Because that's being baptized in the name of the and Holy Ghost. And we're doing that today. All right? And they may not get it done today. They might get it done next Sunday or something, but they can do it. And then, are they a church prospect? If they say, say Will you come to our church? And they say, No, I'm going to go to my uncle's church, my grandma's church, I have a home church. Then you need to say, if they say no, then you need to say, okay, now you need to go and tell your church that the decision you made here today. You know, and you can say, would you like me or one of us to reach out to your church and let them know as well from our side and offer that. But they should go make it known so they can make it public. And then it says, best time to reach all, oh, religious backgrounds and ethnicity, it, it, they don't have to, that's optional. Okay? But the other page, this page gets skipped a lot. Not as bad as the person, I'm the one I'm going to show you, but this will pretty that. This is their general birth certificate. So if they got saved, fill in the blanks. Simple. Okay? Then they have a, sh- a paper saying when they got saved. At the bottom, it says, person who shared Christ with me. If you're counseling with them? That's you, not me. Just because I stood up and did the gospel presentation, you're the one that's clarifying, making sure they understand, you put your name there. And then if you're comfortable to do so, you can share your cell phone number with that person so that they have any questions, they can reach out. If you're not comfortable to do so, then put the church phone number there so they can reach out and say, this is the one that always gets to get 99% of the time, which is the main reason for this commercial. What it says is, it's the last part of their kind of Bible study learning to witness, but it has the question, write the name of a person who needs to receive Christ and the name of a person who needs to know about their decision that they accept Christ. So if they are truly becoming a Christian, then there will be people on both those lines. And if they say, I don't know, I'll have to think about it, that's fine. You can let them think about it. Don't be a bully, right? But at the same time, ideally, they should go, oh, my grandma, a lady at the last box, she said, my grandma and my mom have been haunting me for years to make this decision. Now I've made it, and they both need to know. And I said, okay, so you're going to call and tell them, right? And she said, yeah. I said, call and tell and point them you leave the box party. And she said, okay. So they should be telling. And then there's the second line about somebody who needs to know who to receive Christ. That's going to be one of their non-Christian friends. This is how the church reaches the world. The rest of this is potentially how the church grows. Because we can reach out to them and say, okay, come on, come on. You know, take steps, whatever, advance the kingdom. But this is how it, it multiplies. Get them to tell somebody. And they may tell somebody, and that, that person being called by God. That person will get saved. Boom, kingdom spreads. And that's how it goes, and the person that you witness to might share with somebody else, or somebody else, or somebody else. in the meantime you might not have told anybody, but there might ten people there. Factor, right? That's how that's done. All right. Now I've got you. Have you been reading in your Bibles? Have you seen something this week that you'd like to
0: share? Hardly. Um. Then you, you know from my buddy Charlie. Yep. We were talking uh, a week or so ago he came over, and before he was leaving sit outside and we were talking for a little while and a lot of what we were talking about was why is it so hard for someone to disagree with somebody and not hate them. Right. And I I'm a strong believer. You want to believe something, that's your choice. You believe that. Right. But don't hate me for believing something different. Right. And I think I've seen it a lot in some churches and I I'm not trying to sound mean, but I think that's the reason why a lot of churches fail is because they're not willing to
2: agree to disagree with somebody and still love them. They're, and it gives the good churches a bad rep because there are churches out there, for one, I, I think New Heights, I think a lot of people in New Heights are like that,
0: where if you believe something different that doesn't mean I'm going to stop loving you. Right, And that's how it should be but everyone
2: feels so strongly entitled to their, visit, their choice, their whatever, that if you don't believe exactly what they believe, then you hate them and you're, you're criticizing them it's like, that's not how it is just because I have a different belief than you doesn't mean that I don't like you, that we still can't be friends because there are plenty of things that me and my buddy Charlie disagree on, but yet I know at the drop of a dime that man would do anything I needed and he knows the same about me that if he really desperately needed some help with something, I would stop what I'm doing and I would help him. And we were talking about it, we got into this really long, deep conversation, and it ultimately came down to you know, if the world could start thinking like that, how much better off we would be. And one of the things that we were talking about is because that's how God wants it. God doesn't, He's. He doesn't care where you came from. He doesn't care what you believe. As long as what your choices do line up with Him and what He wants for you, then it doesn't matter. So we need to learn to come together and be together and still disagree and whatever, but we still need to remember what our ultimate goal is, and that is to glorify God. Because the world, the goal of glorifying God has been lost. So they don't have that understanding. I mean, they're sort of glorifying God in their freedom, and amazingly, the the ability to choose something wrong, to believe something wrong, that also glorifies God. That's what's amazing. God allows human beings to disagree with Him. Now, if you disagree on the key point of the gospel, you're not going to get to heaven, because there's only one way to get there, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay? But even then, you're allowed, if you choose to, and this is what you're getting at, you're allowed to live your whole life not believing in Jesus. You know who made that possible? God Jesus, really, right? God, yeah. So he's one of the possible. He made us to, and and yeah. So God didn't put Adam and Eve and put a huge fence around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there was no angel with a flaming sword originally in front of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They had the choice. They were able to follow God. They were able to eat from the tree. They could choose. And God made that possible. And people are like, well, that's not fair because God sort of like gave them the chance to hang themselves. God always does that. Because God loves you so much that not won't take away your free will. So if people disagree with you, always remember the words of Jesus
0: Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's how I get to that when people with you. Good word, that's powerful. Okay? Yeah, I know uh, uh, some, some people think
4: that Phil. Can change yourselves to make it basically change your person into someone else. When, when you can't, there's only one you. And that, in you, there is a in my fourth grade teachers' class, and there was a thing like that said there's only one spot left, and that is you. That comes to my mind many times before every time I saw that. And what came to my mind is that I am myself, I cannot be
2: changed. No one can be changed like food. Anyone else has something burning, otherwise we're gonna pray. (laughs) Uh, You can go to Tony Brister, I'm gonna ask you to pray in just a moment, give you that much heads up. Anybody else got something real quick? Otherwise we're gonna pray and go back into worship.
0: Snowmops,
2: snowmops, snowmops. I saw some people um, walking around and car uh, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay. Good work. So, he saw people with a car broken down on the side of the road in a storm, and he felt led to pray the that they would be safe. And before he said, oh and how to be safe with your okay. the question is why don't we feel that the pray
0: whenever we see people in good, good work word. alright brother Tony for you oh, Lord do you you are on uh, this day and the be is of water, the place and the you of so and the that you need, uh, focus on you that's right. the distraction please.
2: sat down on a porch in a rocking chair, a dark night, cars were passing by in the street and the gentleman that I was sitting with, he and I sipped cold lemonades and we talked for a while. We talked about how this the younger generation uh, makes some decisions, does some things, kind of charts their path, if you will, and in the end we kind of agreed that we don't necessarily understand some of the decisions that the generation and generations after us have made. I sat down in a coffee shop across a a hot chocolate, uh, because I don't drink coffee, uh, with a man who ordered a coffee that had like eight names, uh, which I couldn't recite, and he kept checking his cell phone the whole time we were talking. And we were talking about the older generation, and the way things used to be done, and the way that things were done in the church, and what they had to draw on, the resources that were available to them. And he said, I don't understand how they did it. There is a generational divide that keeps people apart from understanding one another. It's not because one generation thinks poorly of the other, per se, but times are moving so quickly. Soon, you will not be able to read the newspaper unless you read it on a tablet or on the computer. The Toledo Blade is already discussing Putting, and they've already gone down to three days, but they're putting down, they're discussing going to zero days print, and everything will only be online. At which point I'm wondering, can you still call it a newspaper if there's no paper? After the Civil War, lever action rifles and Gatling guns recreated warfare. They changed everything. Just over sixty years later, The atomic bomb was invented, and the Cold War began. Times move very rapidly inside one generation. And I'm not trying to be a historian or recount history. I may not get my dates exactly correct. That's why I didn't name dates. But let me tell you that it is definitely true that things in the world building one on another are moving very rapidly. Have you seen an SD card? Have you seen an SD card that will hold one terabyte of data? Do you know what one terabyte of data is? I watched a movie the other night called Hidden Figures, and it was about how NASA got the first man into space, and they had computers. They had white computers and Negro computers. They didn't have computers like we have computers at that time. They called the computers were the people who could do math really well. And then they brought in an IBM computer that would actually work off cars, and you had to punch the cars in just such a way and feed them in just such a way to get the computer. And the computer was a computer It filled the whole room. And then the Negro computers learned how to use the computer and the lady who was uh, could never get promoted to supervisor became supervisor over the room where the IBM computer filled the room because she learned how to program the computer, took the time to do so when no one else could figure out how to program the computer. Times change very rapidly and it can be almost impossible for previous generations and future generations to see eye to eye, but more importantly, to value and understand what has been, what has gone before, what God has done, what has God has done through previous generations, to take us where God is trying to take us to. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to read uh, from God's Word. And I will not, I think, have to explain a lot as we go through it today because it is a fairly well-known story. Um, it comes from the life of Joseph, and after I give you the reference, for those who are online, uh, if you can't see it up on the screen, after I give you the reference, we'll briefly just real quick do a synopsis of that story. The story comes from Exodus chapter 1. Amen. Thank you for those three of you that are excited about Exodus chapter 1 and Miss Chris, because I'm sure she's in the office hooting and hollering in there as she's watching the Facebook feed. It's Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. So, real, real quick... There was a young man named Joseph. He was a young son of his father, not the youngest. Some people make that mistake. He was loved by his father, very much so. In fact, his father brought him a coat of many colors to distinguish him from other, his other brothers. Joseph had dreams that would put him up and in charge of everybody. He dreamed basically like being a king or the, or being a, a, a body in the sky that the sun and the moon and the stars literally bowed down to. Very crazy dreams. And he told his family about it. His brothers got mad. They threw him in a pit, then sold him into slavery. He wound up in Egypt. In Egypt, he prospered because he always served God, always did what God wanted him to do. He eventually wound up interpreting a dream for Pharaoh that was of seven years feasting, followed by uh, before seven years famine. Because he interpreted the dream, Pharaoh prospered and had food in the seven years of famine. And so did all the land. And God's people were preserved again. This is the story of Joseph. Now we're some generations later, it's about 400 years later, so you estimate, I mean, they say a generation is about 20 years, so it's about 20 generations later when this new king ca- comes on the scene. Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. It says, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Well, he, of course he didn't know him in person, right? He's talking about didn't know Joseph and the things that God had done through Joseph. Could he have? Yes. Should he have? probably. It was recorded in their history. In fact, it's still recorded in their history to this day, many thousand years later, right? And so he could have known of Joseph, known about Joseph, known the amazing things that God had done through Joseph, and known how Joseph had unified Egypt and put everybody and everything under Pharaoh's rule, but he didn't. He arose and did not know Joseph and what God had done through Joseph. Verse 9 says, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and in the event of war they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses, and the more they afflicted them, that means the more they put burdens on the Israelites, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and in all kinds of labor in the field, and all their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. So these are the midwives is the lady who helps deliver birth. This is back before hospitals and And doctors existed, but they weren't like doctors that knew the body like we do now. Then the king of Egypt spoke to Hebrew midwives. These were women who knew how to have babies, basically. One of whom was named Shiprah, Shifra, and the other was named Kuah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then they shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous. And they give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And it came about, because the midwives feared God, that he established households for them. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So first of all, notice that a king has arisen that did not know Joseph and what Joseph had done and the mighty works of God through Joseph. Okay? So, we're going to talk a little bit about, like, what this king is like first, and that is, first of all, I want you to notice that what he's actually doing is he uses the blessings of God. So there may be people who look like they're following God or have part with God and are doing very well. This king, one would say, he was blessed. He was harnessing God's people and using them, their strength, and their numbers to build his icons and his treasures. He was doing very, very well for himself because he was using the blessings of God. However, at the same time he was using the blessings of God, he feared the blessings of God. Now, in this, you may actually hear something about the devil, about evil spirits, about the way the world works, and so on. He used the blessings of God, but he also feared the blessings of God. He is afraid. Notice that he is afraid completely incorrectly that if an enemy attacks Egypt, God's people will side with that enemy And so he feels he must keep them down, okay? But that's wrong. That's not... God's people already know at this point that they have a promised land, that they're called, that God is going to provide for them, and so on. They already know the story. And in fact, when they buried Joseph's father's remains, they had him mummified And they buried him, not in Egypt, but they made arrangements for him to be buried in the promised land. They were looking forward to the great thing that God was doing based on what they had seen him already do. Notice that Pharaoh devises plans then to keep the Israelites busy. He didn't invent pleasures to entice them. I'm not sure that would have worked. They were pretty industrious people. They believed in working. They knew that God had created human beings to work. So he didn't invent pleasures to entice them, but rather instigated laws to control them and to increase their labors. He eventually makes a plan to have them kill their own babies. Going to the Hebrew midwives and saying, kill the firstborn sons. Kill all sons. Right? So he makes a plan to have them kill their own babies. He orders, when that doesn't work, when the Israelites refuse to kill their own babies, he orders all his people to kill they're baby boys, unable to overcome the blessings of God with violence through them, he seeks to enlist all his false worshiper followers, remember Pharaoh was considered a God, to do it for him. He wants to get them to hate the baby boys of the Israelites and kill the baby boys of Israel, cast them into the Nile, and probably to the crocodiles and so on, to keep the Israelites and the blessings of God down. He tries to get control of the blessings. Basically, he's using whatever he has at his disposal to get control of these blessings of God. Now, let me ask you this question. What got him into this spot? That's where he's at, trying to control the blessings of God. And he uses all these steps first by trying to keep them busy, then trying to get them to kill their own children, then trying to get other people to kill their children, right? He's he's doing all of that, trying to control the blessings however he possibly can. But what got him there? First of all, it says simply that he was a king who didn't know Joseph and what God had done through Joseph. Even though he was a king who would literally have nothing if it were not for Joseph and what God had done through Joseph, he would have nothing. Remember that during the seven years of famine that followed the seven years of feasting in Joseph's day, Joseph is basically ruling the country, and in the seven years of feasting, they filled barns upon barns with All the necessary feed and the stuff to plant and all of that. And the people of Egypt, all of Egypt, come to Pharaoh and wind up actually coming to Joseph and trade everything they own, essentially including themselves, to Pharaoh through Joseph. So Pharaoh owns everything, is ruling everything, and it has everything that he has because of Joseph. Because of what God did through Joseph. He probably should have, probably could have knew that part of his history and could then see what God might do if he did things differently. Secondly, he is a king that has, that's counting the time that has passed and the future he desires as more important than the parts of history that yield a truly desirable future. Now, this is the way history actually works, right? You remember some of your history. You remember the things that you went through, your family went through, and so on. And through that, you may remember some of the things that God has done. If you pick and choose and choose out of your history bad things to focus on, then your mind is going to be a dark place. If you choose to hold a grudge against someone who has hurt you, or get angry against someone who did something you don't like. Uh, some A philosopher was asked, what is anger? And he said, anger is the punishment that we afflict upon ourselves for the crimes of other people, right? And so when you take out of your history the bad stuff, out of your remembrance the bad stuff, you will have a bad life. You will struggle. You will be beat up. You will be hurting and so on. But if you take the good things out of your past and your history and look for a truly desirable future that God has plans for you, then you will have a good life and a godly life and a life that God might make for you. So the Pharaoh has chosen the wrong parts. And at the same time, he's talking about how much time has passed. Remember, 400 years is a really long time. And so we look today, for example, at the Declaration of Independence or at the Constitution. And people are redefining certain things that come out of those documents. They forget that the first men of our country, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, were deacons and pastors, for example. All but one, right? And so the point is, he looked away from the part of his past, that could have built a wonderful future for him and rather focused on making his future into what he wanted it to be. Taking the parts of his past, like the Israelites are my slaves and I can do whatever I want with them and trying to make that into whatever he wanted the future to be. He plotted for a future of his own choosing. I ask you, who else does that? Who else forgets the great and important things of the past that could build a future in, in God and instead focuses on the things of the past that they want to remember, and forgets even the things of the past because they seem so far away. You know, when you go, well, that was five or ten years ago. Things have changed now. You're making the same mistake that Pharaoh was making. Because even if they have changed now, that is not a reason to drive you to do something different. He was a king who counted the times that had passed as so far past, and they're not important and he, counted, he discounted the things of the past that could actually lead him to a truly desirable future. And at the same time, he looked for a future that he wanted to make for himself. Say it louder. They did. They would, unfortunately, fall into the same trap. The third thing there was that he was a, a king that desired to protect his own and to promote his own desired future. He loved his kids, I mean, such as the world would, right? He wanted to make his son be Pharaoh when he grew up, and so on. He wanted to provide for his empire and his people. He wanted to succeed. All men are born with certain inalienable rights, right? And amongst them are the right, the pursuit of happiness. So he was pursuing his own happiness. Can you blame this Pharaoh for using what was his to get what he wanted? No. You can't. You have every right to do that, and everyone in the world has the right to do. You have every right to do with what is given into your control, whatever you think you should do in order to get the future that you think you want. However, you might be able to blame him for that when you realize what he has forgotten. Because actually, his own efforts stand exactly opposite that which would have taken him to the place that he wanted to go because of what he's forgotten. So now you can place some blame on him is it's easy to point out people or initiative that meet these qualifications that do the same thing, just like Aaron just pointed out that the Israelites would do the same thing on many occasions, even had done it some in the past as of this point in time. It's easy to blame social media or technological advances for our woes. It's easy enough to see people getting worked up about the way things are going. And recognize that their bad behavior is the same kind of bad behavior that maybe proves they are one of those people who has forgotten the amazing works of past generations and of God through those past generations. It's easy to do that. And it isn't even entirely wrong, right? I can look at people I know and I can say, look, when you make that decision, you are forgetting what it is that God did here and here and here. I know enough of your story. I know enough of what God has done to say, hey... Should you be forgetting what God did here, here, and here? Doesn't this action that you're about to take do that? We can point that out in other people. But that's not the question that you're supposed to ask when you go to Scripture. So I'm going to ask you, not have you ever seen such a king? Someone who would do these things that we're talking about. Nor am I going to ask you, have you ever known such a person in your lifetime? But I'm going to ask you, have you become such a king? Are you doing the very thing that Pharaoh was doing? Pharaoh at least had an excuse. Let me tell you the story of a Christian brother and a Christian sister who wound up in a very similar situation. The Christian brother, whose name I won't share because I didn't ask him if I could share his testimony. I just met him a week ago tomorrow. He stood at the life station front desk as I was working on getting him food and stuff. And I was putting this, and we asked him questions about Jesus. So we got on a faith conversation. And this is what he told me. He said, years, some years ago, uh, by that time, I think it had been close to 15, 20 years ago or whatever, he had, um, he was serving as a doorman in a trap house. You know what that means? A trap house is a basic place where they do drugs. and um, And so drugs were being done there all the time. And he was doing drugs all the time. And... Uh, one night, he got kicked out of the trap house. He was the doorman, but he got kicked out. He had had caused a problem of some kind, fight with another guy, whatever, and he got kicked out. So he's in the middle of a street, which he named in the Old South End, on a warm night, and he said he was standing there thinking about how he could get drugs, because he wanted to get high. And he said, all the people in this neighborhood, he could name this person, that person, that person. He knew what house they lived in. He said, all these people owe me money. They all owe me money. So I'm going to go door to door and collect this money that people owe me, and then I'll be able to buy drugs. But then he thought about how that might go. People don't like the money to be collected if they wanted to pay him. He might get a fight. He might say something, and then somebody might punch him instead of giving him the money or whatever. And he thought, no, okay, I don't want to do that. And so maybe I'll get a ski mask and a gun, and I'll go rob a carryout, and then I'll have plenty of money, and then I'll go get a high. And so no, because if I do that, I'll probably wind up shooting somebody. And it's one thing to go to jail for robbing a carryout. It's another thing for shooting somebody and go to jail for life, right? And so he, didn't want, he was afraid of going to jail, didn't want to go to jail at all, and so he, he didn't want to do that. So he's standing there with no hope of getting high, and everything in his body screaming he wanted to get high, and a warm breeze blew by the side of his head, and it moved his hair back. So there was no breeze, but then all of a sudden a breeze blew his hair back, and with the breeze came this, a, a, a gentle, warm voice that said, there's a meeting over there. And he thought about it, and there was a meeting over there. And he said, the voice said again, there's a meeting over there. And so he walked down the block and went to the meeting. Now, he'd been involved with Alcoholics Anonymous before. He was he pre- previously believed in God and whatever, and he may or may not have been saved previous to this situation, whatever. But the bottom line is, he believed in God. So he went to the meeting, and he got, to, is sitting in the meeting, he outed himself. He raised his hand, and he said, I am right now torn up inside. I've got to get high. He said, and he told him about how he'd been in the street and what it had felt like when the breeze went past his face. And he said, immediately, God took away from him the desire to use drugs. Gone. He no longer was feeling like he needed to use drugs. And he left the meeting and he quit using drugs. Quit, cold turkey. Years went by. In fact, he moved in with a woman. He wasn't serving God, wasn't following God the way he should have been, but now, by now he professed to be a Christian. For sure, I don't know what the first encounter if he had or not, but later he did for sure. And this woman that he lived with, uh, he gave me her name, and I'm not giving you her name because again, she's—I uh, she, don't have any permission to do that. But she was using drugs the whole time he was living with her. And they would—he said they would make plans. They were both working. They would make plans, and then right before they would get paid, she would start making arrangements, and she would take their paychecks and go spend everything she had on getting high. And no matter what he did, no matter how hard he tried to keep the money away from her, he couldn't do it. She always found a way. Now, obviously there are ways probably that he could have done it, but he never... So for six or seven years, he lived with her, and she spent everything they had on drugs. And during that six or seven years, he was never even tempted. Understand? After that, he broke up with her. A couple of years later, one time, one night, somebody invited him, and he used drugs. And then as he was standing at the at the life station at the front desk, it had been five years, and for five years, he'd been off and on and off and on, stuck in his addiction, and he's like, now I cannot beat it, and he just told me, he's staying in a Christian ministry, and he said today, specifically today, or maybe it was the day before, he gave his money card, because he gets... uh uh, benefits on his card once a month, like social security, disability, or whatever. He gave that to the pastor to hold because he said, every time it comes, I spend on drugs. And every plan I make, I spend on drugs. And no matter what I do, I can't stop. And I always spend it on drugs. And he said, so he's going to hold the money for me until I get clean. And then I'll have the money. And then I'll be able to start building my life. But he's stuck. He can't get away from his addiction despite the story that he told about God taking, miraculously taking his need for drugs away from him. And there's another woman and her, her story, I have permission to tell. And Her name's Judy, and some of you know her. And she, was, she overdosed on crack cocaine. She was in a coma for two days. Her sister-in-law nursed her back to health out of the overdose. And she woke up, got up, and looked in the mirror. And when she looked in the mirror, she saw the face of Jesus in the mirror. And immediately knew that she had shamed Jesus. She was already professing Christian for sure at this time. And she immediately knew that she had shamed Jesus, and she had done exactly what he would not want her to do. And she told Jesus that she would never do it again. Now it's been 20 years and she never has done it again. What's the difference between the two stories? Realize Pharaoh at least had an excuse. He was born generations later, as many as 15 to 20 generations later. He forgot Joseph and Joseph's God. Now he could have, he could have learned it from his parents. He could have looked it up in the books that they had. He could have seen it painted on the walls, but he didn't. He forgot Joseph and Joseph's God after 20 generations. You might even say that that makes sense if it were not for the many blessings that were still being displayed in the Israelites. He says, this is a people that's mighty. They're multiplying. They've become big. They've become bigger than my people. And the Israelites were claiming God. And so that was pointing him to go, what about God? What about, oh, there was this story in our history of Joseph and the Israelites and God. And we really probably should pay attention because something is happening here while these people who are slaves in our land keep getting more prosperous and we keep kind of just kind of languishing. We're doing okay. Everything's good. We've got treasure cities now, but we really have the treasure cities because we use the Israelites to build them, right? And he was worried. And he could have been asking that question, but he wasn't. And he might have been asking that question if it was not for his pressing need to beat down and restrain God's people. What about us? What about our country? What about God's faithful church? People who turned their lives completely over to God and continue to work for Him day in and day out and to give to the kingdom advance in their service and financially and whatever continue to be blessed And others who claim to be Christians, but are busy working for the things that the world has to offer, or maybe watching hours of TV, or spending hours pining away for the days that have long gone by, or are complaining about the way things are, all of these people are kings that don't remember God's great works just the same. For they are his works, aren't they? Everything that happened through Joseph, they weren't Joseph's works. Joseph wouldn't have said they were his works. Joseph said they were God's works. See the great works that Pharaoh forgot when he forgot Joseph. They were not actually Joseph's works, but God's works. God saved his people through the story of Joseph. And he reserved the people that were living off in the promised land for 400 years. He reserved them until their sin had come to full measure. God did. What has God done in your life? In our case, God sent his son, God saved us, assuming you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, which means he paid the price for your sins, and Lord, which means he tells you what to do and you do it, then God saved you. We mustn't forget that he saved us. We mustn't forget that he is Lord. We mustn't hide from other kings who would arise having forgotten the great works of God. We don't have to fight these human kings that arise because this is not our home. Just as the Israelites did not have to fight against Pharaoh, which Pharaoh didn't understand, we don't have to fight against those people who are doing wrong in the world. You don't have to go hunt down murderers and kill them or go blow up abortion clinics or get out there on social media and on everybody's little post where they posted something that they believe about this, this political initiative or that one and get on there and start spouting Jesus and fight with them on there. You don't have to do that because we have a king who is superior and he will take us to the promised land when he is ready. We don't have to fight those human kings that arise because this is not our home. God has prepared prepared for us a promised land and he will take us there. Our job is to not forget where we have come from and to build our present day, what you're building today, with an eye to glorifying God. You cannot do that hiding from the world. You cannot do that fretting over what is going on in the world. You cannot do that while you are milking every bit of enjoyment out of every day. You do not need to be entertained. You need to go to heaven when you die. You do not need to be entertained. You do not even need to spout off rhetoric against people who are saying things that are completely wrong. You don't need to do that. The gospel is a weapon. It is a tool and it will transform the world. But it is not thrown out before pigs like the, like slop. If you already know somebody is not going to hear you, then you don't even have to go after them. You can let them live as sinners in the world and they can be free to do so. But if you think there is a chance, then you should be preaching the ministry of reconciliation and paying the every price for it if necessary. You cannot represent God this way, building your present day on what God has done, glorifying God and for the future that God desires, you can't do that working long hours and depriving your family of your godly presence. You can do it looking at whatever you have and whatever you have access to and putting it into His service for the kingdom advance. I knew a woman who along with her husband had become a supporter of the Southside Life Station. They were giving in their kind of like elder years. They served early on, but then they were physically not able to do that anymore, and they started giving a little bit. And that came to be a set amount that she would send every couple of weeks. She and her husband had become convinced of God's work being done there, and they thought they were fueling that work. He eventually went to be with the Lord in the latter years, and she got older and older and weaker and weaker. She got to the point where she could barely keep up her house anymore, right? But she still sent her check all the time to make sure that she could feed other people who were in difficulty. Then once she heard that the life station needed toilet paper and toiletries, and she doubled the amount that she was giving and earmarked the second half for paying for toilet paper and toiletries for people in need. See, she never forgot what God had done in her life. Her daughters, on the other hand, they didn't understand what she was doing, what she was trying to accomplish, or what God was doing through her. So when she passed away, it all stopped. They didn't give, they didn't serve, they didn't volunteer. I don't know, maybe they were serving volunteers somewhere else. I know that I have never forgotten what God did through that woman. She literally fed thousands of hungry people, some of whom would have had no food that day if it were not for her contribution. And that's still going on through the pantry here at New Heights and the Life Station. We are still feeding people who have nothing. There was a woman who came to the New Heights pantry last week, and she was sharing with Sherry, and Sherry said, well, the milk we have is one day out of date. It's the only milk I have to give you. You don't have to take it if you don't want to. And the woman said, I don't think you understand. And Sherry said, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. And she thought maybe she would be upset or whatever. She said, I don't think you understand. We have no food in our house. We will take everything you can give us. This woman understood the impact that she was having with the resource that God had blessed her and her husband with. And then when her husband went to be with the Lord, she wasn't going to stop that because she understood what God was doing. It's a mistake to think of it as, when I give, I accomplish something. God accomplishes something through us. When she couldn't clean her house anymore... She found a way to feed people and to provide toilet paper and shampoo for people that she would never meet. She hadn't forgotten, I hadn't forgotten that God is the God who saves. At every instance when someone calls on him, willing to be saved, he hears and he saves. If you haven't called on him, do so now. But assuming you have, know that he paid the price for an eternal and abundant life for you. That cannot be forgotten. If you have called on him and openly told others about what he has done, then you should be working for God seven days a week, every day of the week, and never stop until Jesus comes again. Forget every episode of TV. Forget every harm ever done to you. Forget every mistake the old you made but never forget what our God has done or stop living accordingly. But it would be so easy to do. I say, go ye therefore and be the church. Be the church empowered for kingdom advance. Be the church becoming mighty and should be more numerous as we grow and sharing the truth with people who are willing to hear it. Be the church empowered in unity despite the fact that there is no unity outside the church. Outside the church, the world is dividing over everything they can think of to divide over. And the truth is, they have a right to do so. Culturally, they divide. Racially, they divide. Genderly, they divide. Generationally, they divide. Financially, they divide. They have a right to divide because they, they also have the right to try to build for themselves a future that they desire they ultimately will fail to do so because we will all take a knee before Jesus. And some of us will take a knee reluctantly and out of anger, uh, out of irritation, essentially feel forced to take a knee before Jesus. And some of us will willingly, gratefully take a knee because we know what's about to happen. But in the meantime, they have every right, and so do you, to build a future for yourself that you desire. Buy a better house. Grow your kingdom. Do the things that you want to do. Whatever that is, you have a right to do that. But if you really want the future that God desires for you, don't forget that what God has done proves something, says something, does something. All right now, in the present day. There are two more things to notice in this story. The first one is painful to me but it's absolutely true when pharaoh set out to overcome god's people and control god's blessings he did it in certain ways when he first set out to overcome god's people and to control god's blessing he did it this way he gave them work to do now that's kind of cool in a way because we are made to work human beings are made to work we we physically have it in us to do labors that's what god made us for to work adam and eve worked Every day. Now I know later, the seventh day, the Sabbath was given, and we can get into all that, but the bottom line is they worked every day tending the garden when it was right, when it was perfect, before the fall, before sin and death entered in, they worked every day. Human beings were created for that purpose. So he gave them a purpose similar to what God gave them. He gave them what they thought they were good at, And something to be proud of. They built the treasure cities and great pyramids, ziggurats that reached to the sky, bigger things than men had ever seen since the Tower of Babel anyway, and we don't exactly know how tall that was. But they built bigger things and they could come home at the end of the day and say, I worked my butt off all day today. I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm sweaty. I work like I'm supposed to and look at what we're making. Isn't it awesome? Generations to come, will see this awesome thing that we've created. That's what Pharaoh set out to do understand that the enemy will do the same thing. He will give you things to do that seem to have benefits to you but actually have no benefits to kingdom of God. If whatever you are given to do is not benefiting God's kingdom, if you cannot make your job equal, Jesus saves people. Let's be very simple about it. If you cannot do it, then you have to ask yourself, is this job I've been given to do something that benefits me, maybe my family, my finances, benefits the. The bottom line, my retirement, whatever, but doesn't actually benefit the kingdom. If you can't make your job benefit the kingdom, you have to ask yourself that question. He will fill your life with these things. And you will love these things. Things that you do, that you enjoy, that are hard work, or that fill up your schedule, or that you like to do. Think about what they are. How does what you're doing impact the kingdom advance? If it doesn't, It could be a tactic of the enemy to fill your life and keep you from building the future that God really wants for you. He's doing all of this, just as Pharaoh did, to try to get you to forget God's great works. But look what happened amongst the Israelites. They wouldn't forget. They didn't forget. We must be that people. We must refuse to forget when we recognize these tactics. In the early days of New Heights, I met a woman at a block party. She got saved. She later got baptized. We baptized her over here on the bar on East Broadway at East Little Baptist Church Baptismal. Brother Tony cleaned up the baptismal that week and they filled it up for us and we took her over there and we baptized her. She was faithful, but her family was struggling with food. So we helped her, not out of a pantry. We brought groceries and took it to her house. I don't know if Brother Tony went, or I went, or who went, but we took groceries to her house. I know we went multiple times. So they continued to struggle, but they were doing better. Her daughters got saved. And baptized. Her eldest grandchild got saved and baptized. She began to get healthy. She even quit smoking. Then she had a chance to get a job. But the job would require her to work on Sundays. Every Sunday, except for one of the month. She said she would still read her Bible, study, and she would come to church that one Sunday a month. She would still remain faithful despite the fact she was going to work all but one Sunday a month. But she didn't. I never saw her again until about seven years later. That night, it was late. She was standing on a street corner under a street light. She looked mostly healthy, had her teenage grandson with her. He had been small when they were coming to New Heights, but he was full grown now. Now or near full grown. She told me about all of her children had moved away, that he was the only one still with her. She told me how leaving New Heights had been the greatest mistake she had ever made. When she walked away that night, she promised that she would be in church the following Sunday. But I've never seen her since. She may have gone somewhere else. But by her own testimony, she said walking away from New Heights was the greatest mistake I had ever made. Can you blame her for going to work? I mean, they had struggled with food for years. They needed to get productive income coming into their household. Who can blame her for going to work? Can you even blame her for working on Sundays? Show me in the Bible where it says you can't work on Sunday. Can you blame her for that? But this is the truth. She blamed herself for forgetting what God had done and where God had taken her in her greatest hour of need. And we would do the same thing if we're not putting our focus in the right place. The second thing to note is that there were two ladies in the story who rebelled against the Pharaoh because they remembered God. It says they were blessed and he built them a household. Jesus said it this way, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be there also. John fourteen three. I cannot say that if you follow God, your problems will be fixed. Boy, if we could, we could get a lot more people saved. We go to their houses every time they need food and say, if you follow Jesus, you'll never need food again. Give it a week or two, it'll kick in. Like a medicine. Right? Or you'll never worry about losing weight again. Or you'll never worry about having a better job again. Or you'll never have relationship difficulties again. Or whatever. if we could say that, man, people would be buying into Jesus like, they, like popping pills. But we can't say that because that isn't how it works, is it? I can say, however, that your life will get his special care and that he will be with you. And I can also say that with absolute certainty that if you follow him, he will prepare a place for you and take you there when the time is right. But the temptation is to forget. When I was writing my first fiction book, and I'm almost done, when we are writing my first fiction book, The Moment Blood Bowl, I had a dream. That's how the whole thing got started. I had a dream one night. And I kind of went, I woke up, and went back to sleep, and the dream picked up right where it left off. And I did that three times. And so I had this full-length story, which was a dream. And it was extremely intricate and detailed. And I thought, man, God really wants me to pay attention to this. I woke up thinking God was saying, pay attention to that dream. And so I immediately began that day to write down everything that was in the dream, everything that I could remember. But there were parts that I couldn't remember, gaps in conversation, details, and things like that. And I began to pray. And I said, God, you got to fill those in. If you want me to remember every detail and put it all down... And, and I started thinking I might write a book. And I said, if I'm going to do that, I need to do that. I need to get every detail. And so I was praying. But as I was praying, you know, like, weeks went by and months went by. And I started thinking it was a long time since I had the dream, you know? And I, that I probably wasn't going to remember anymore about that conversation between that character and that character in the dream anymore because it had been months. I probably wasn't going to get it anymore. And so I started thinking, well, I'm going to have to fill it in myself. I'm going to have to fill in those things. In the, that I can't remember of the dream that God gave me. I'm going to have to do it myself because God doesn't seem to be doing it. I was tempted to forget and then to be okay with forgetting. So I know it's tempting to forget the miracles that God has done. The place where we are going in the end day, that's the future we want. And we cannot bring it about. Repenting of sins will not change your end destination. It won't do it. Repenting and turning to God alone for salvation through Jesus Christ, His Son, that'll change your end destination. And if your end destination has been changed to that, then just like Jason was saying up here, and he's quite young to be saying it, you repenting and changing yourself day in, day out, it's not going to change who you are. But turning repeatedly to God will build a future that God wants for you. I'm going to say a very painful thing now. How do you know if your future is not to be martyred for God? If one of us in this room is meant to be burned at the stake or beat up in the street and die in the street for preaching Jesus or for serving for Jesus or our house blown up or strafed by a submachine gun, God forbid any anybody should ever do that, but how do you know that that's not your end destination? Are you telling me that if between here and heaven, that's not a stopping point for you, that you're not willing to go there? You should probably hear the Jesus', Jesus words on the night of his arrest when he says, what, am I not going to drink the cup that my father has set before me? We don't know the future between here and when we get to Jesus for eternity, but we know we want to get to Jesus for eternity. So what you have to do is you have to take everything that God has done so far, everything that God has given you thus far, and turn it over day after day after day. Remember what he has done and put him first no matter what happens. You can gather with other believers and as you live for God, rebel against these kinds of kings. I didn't say fight against them, but rebel against them and their efforts to undermine God. You can worship God. Don't tell them they have to, but you worship God. Don't tell them they have to repent or they're going to hell, but you worship God. If there is a generational divide or any other kind of divide in our society today then we can and should unite across generations and across all of those divides for the one thing that should never be forgotten, and that is our God. Do not forget him. Do not forget your part in the kingdom of advance until he takes you home. If you are busy spending a lot of time and effort building something, and that something is not God's kingdom, you need to repent and turn to God. If you are busy spending a lot of time and effort doing something, even something that feels good, or even something that you can logically say, I'm doing it, but I'm doing it for God. But if you could legitimately look at that something that you're doing and realize that that something is not only not being done for God, but it's not being done in a way that will prosper God's kingdom, then you need to repent and turn to God. If something in your life cannot be made about Jesus, You need to repent and turn to God because Jesus may come again later today. Or now. Or now. Or now. This moment must be not forgetting what God has done, not forgetting who God is. And I told you that those things that God has done, they tell us two things that will drive you and motivate you. The number one thing is that that, if God did the things that God did, and he did, right? So I say it that way only to say they prove this point. If God did the things that God did, then God is completely capable of doing those same kinds of things again. If God saves you, he's capable of saving your neighbor. If you were wrapped up in drugs or crime or thievery or lying like I was and God saved you, then he can do the same thing for the dirtbag guy that you would look at and you would say, he'll never save that guy. Shame on you. Because if he can do it for me and he can do it for you, he can do it for them. If God has already done it, He can do it again. He can part seas again. He can heal the sick again. He can cast out demons again. He can provide money where there is no money again. He can do it all again. And we need to trust him to do it all again. And then some of it he'll do. Because it's what's right, it's what's needed. It's going to lead himself, lead people to himself. And if that's true, based on what God we have seen God done, then this is also true. You ain't seen nothing yet. In our lifetimes, as we look at the amazing thing that God has done, when I was in East Toledo, or when I was in New Heights in East Toledo over there on Main Street, and I was we had just laid the carpet and the chairs were brought in, but they weren't set out. And I fell on my face on the floor and I prayed God said, God, I can't pastor. I did the same thing two days ago. And two and back then, God said, I know you can't. It's all right. And he didn't get me up off the floor. And I said, Well, I'm not going to do it unless you tell me to do it, unless you make me do it, unless you empower me to do it. I'm not going to do it. And he says, I know. And he didn't get me up off the floor. And I said, God, I'm not going to get up off the floor until you tell me to get up off the floor. And I laid there for about 45 minutes. And it was about probably 35 minutes into it that I said, I'm not going to get up off the floor until you get me up off the floor. And at the end of that, I had a vision of a man pulling me up off the floor, and I was standing upright. And I don't remember getting up, but I do remember being standing up. Two days ago, I had an instance, an opportunity to share the gospel with a crowd of people. And I slacked off, and I didn't do it. And then, I, and then the enemy attacked me and said, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you share? That was your opportunity. God didn't say it. The enemy said it. And I felt guilt, and I was mad at myself. and like, I'm a mouthpiece for God. I'm given the opportunity to share the gospel. Why didn't I do that? And I said, God, I can't pastor this church. And he said, I know, still the same. And I said, I can't do what it is you're calling me to do, God. he said, I know, still the same. Nothing has changed. And I said, God, I'm not getting up off the floor until you get me up. A couple minutes later, I was in the kitchen. And I don't remember anything from being on the floor to being in the kitchen. Listen to me. God can still do it. He still wants to do it in you and through you. The same miracles that he did through apostles and prophets. He wants to deliver the same message he's always delivered, which is there is one road to salvation in the way that God would make, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you'll have Jesus as Lord, you can tell anybody, anytime, anywhere. And if somebody who just flat out will not hear it, if they're against you, abusive, negative, derogatory, whatever, they're anti-Bible, don't bother. God will take care of them. Fact is, they may get saved. They may turn their lives over to the Lord. Paul was chasing down Christians, taking their property and throwing them in jail when God stopped him in his tracks. And say, why do you kick against the goads? Do you need to go there? Are you going to continue to intentionally forget the amazing, miraculous things that God has done for you and for me and for our church? Or are we going to get busy doing what it is that God would have us to do to advance the kingdom? And you're going to have to do it alone sometimes. You're going to have to do it with a brother sometimes. you have to do it with a church sometimes. You're going to have to stand up to a crowd sometimes. But God will always be with you even when you do it alone. It's time. It's not time we picked ourselves up by our bootstraps. Everybody in this room is capable of that. It's time. We turned our daily lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ and told anyone who will listen. That little spot in that book, who do you know who needs to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And have you told them how to? Not have you invited them to church. That's great if you want to do that. But have you told them how to accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you told them about the miraculous things that God has done in your life? So they might go, well, I, I do see the blessings. And they might look at their own life and go, I think God has done miraculous things in my life too. And I'm beginning to wonder if everything hasn't led me to the moment of which I accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and I begin to live for him. Is this that moment? If you just call out what God does. Proclaim what you have seen. Only with what you have seen with your eyes. and heard with your ears, then, then the world can have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Then we will be New Heights Fellowship. God help us. Go ahead say it. Think it to yourself right now. I can't share the gospel with anybody. Listen to what God says back. You know what He's going to say. Do you not want to say it in your head, I can't share the gospel with anybody? You say, well, I can, but I don't want to. Now you've got a problem. You need to repent and turn to the Lord. But if you can say to him, I can't share the gospel with somebody. God's going to say, I know. God wants to do it through you. He wants to give the kings that may arise something to remember. We're going to have a song of invitation at this time. Our message has come to a conclusion. But while I was preaching, if you began to realize that you have become a king like that Pharaoh... Forget it. I think, you know, it's been ten years since God did something really powerful. Ten years. If that's you, you need to say, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I have rehearsed it every day of my life since then. I will never forget it, and I will build my life upon Jesus Christ.
0: But if it's only been a week or a month, come on. you can get out of bed this morning and say, okay, God, I'm going exactly to do exactly what you want me to do and exactly what you want me to do and I'll show you how to put to use all that I have access to, but he or Becky can't do that. Maybe you can, not but he can do it anyway. we we'll sing the song. We've got a memories, from wherever you are or by coming forward, either one.
2: But would you stand, if you come away, would you so stand and sing the song with me? I I did this the day before yesterday. So I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm singing again. Did you say, I... I can let, what I can do is let God work on
0: it. do that, start thinking about the resources you have available. What do we
3: take to put them all into the kingdom of You can do it again, and
1: you ain't seen nothing yet.
2: Obrigado. is if you know the holiness of God then he is unforgettable. One experience. One moment. as my professor in college used to say one kairotic moment. One moment that lasts forever. And you will never forget it. You'll never forget the day you earnestly gave your life over to the Lord. Except there is an active entity who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There isn't a real and earnest attempt to get you to forget to distract you, to lead you astray, and and one of the tactics that he uses is filling up our lives with things that, n- by their very nature, are not sin. They're not sin, but they they expand and they fill and they compel us. And when you are compelled, it has become sin, because we mustn't have any other master other than Jesus. You've been set free from every other master and have only one Lord, who is Jesus Christ. The rest of the world. Maybe not so much. But if you have had that moment, mark it in time. Never let it go. Never forget. And let it testify to you every day that he is able. That he can do it again and more. Jesus said that more and mightier things would be done through us who have trusted in him than even he himself did. And I have seen demons and evil spirits you, And I have seen miraculous things. it does happen. It's happened in our body. And there are people here in the church who say, I know God has done miracles. You should be able to say, you should be able to recount in your own life, at the very least, the minimum of your salvation. One thing. Say, I, this is what happened to me. You know what? You, I did it. You don't believe in God. You say you don't believe in God quite the way I do Whatever. But let me tell you what happened to me. This is one experiential thing. I can say I can say this happened. And this is how I felt, and this is what I saw. And you be able to tell it, like, you were there, because, hey, you were there. And then they can go, okay, so you're weird, I get that, that's never happened to me. And you say, okay, but here's what I'm telling you, God's the same God, and so while what I'm describing to you never happened to you, at least I would like you to admit that it happened to me. And if it happened to me, then that's testimony that God can do something. I had a young man, we were back at East City, East Coast, his final illustration, he, his parents were more Muslim. And he was professing Muslim, practicing Muslim. And he came to vacation Bible school. And some of the teenage girls that were there and I, we were sitting out with sharing the gospel at the end. And it was one of the girls that had just come down and she got saved. And he said, this is what he said. He said, if God would show me what you were talking about, would show it to me, so that I could see it, so I could feel it, then I would accept Jesus Christ, my Lord, and Savior, I would leave Islam and become a Christian right now. If you would do that. And I said, well, I believe God would do that. I believe God will do that. I said, in fact, but I, well, I said, would you describe to me what just happened to you? And she basically said, I feel, I feel different. I feel, God, just did something. I can't put a finger on it, but I feel different. I gave my life over to Jesus, and now I'm like, I'm not the same person. She's been saved like five minutes, right? And I said, do you not see this? Yes, I see it. So now you want to feel it internally, then that's different. You're going to have to give your life over to Jesus and then we will do it. It's the same time. It's not like you do something and then he does something. It happens at the same instant. So it's like you're holding on to something. God wants it, and God wants to give you something better. And you're like, but I'm not going to give it up. And so God gives it to me. God will give it to me first, then I'll give this up immediately. I promise you. That's not the way it works. You give it up, at the same time as he gives it. We have this feeling, like people are like, I'm making this terrible sacrifice and God's not actually going to do anything. If they didn't really believe, if they didn't know God was going to do something, they wouldn't feel that way. Right? Because they already believe in God and they feel like God could betray them because he's bigger, because he's got more, right? So that's why they're not willing to give it up because what maybe God won't do and then I've given all this up. It's like, you just take it back a second later. Like you're saying, I'm not going to lie anymore. You just go ahead and lie tomorrow, right? What's the I'm not going to cheat on my girlfriend anymore. Well, you just you just do that tomorrow then. Couldn't you? You're saying you're not going to. What, what would that even matter? If you give it all up now, what would it even matter? You could always take it back if God doesn't do what he said he's going to do. But they know he will do exactly what he said he's going to do. That's why they don't want to give it up. And that's where we're at. And that's where you'll spend the rest of your life until you that is where I'll spend the rest of my life. because I throw my flesh, I still have to each time. Each time, trust God. Each time, trust God. And that's what we as a church believe in doing every day. in Jesus. Okay, so we're done. Uh, did anybody have a word real quick? To say I, I did make a decision, but I didn't walk forward.
5: I um, have something that I've been struggling with, and I need help, um, prayer, counsel. I don't, I don't really know what to do from here. Um... I resolved in myself that I'm going to put forth the effort to do what it is that I need to do in my life, in my ministry, with 100% effort instead of 60% effort in all pieces. Um, And I feel like I've been doing better. Not perfect. No one's perfect. Um, Doing better with that. Exhausting as it is, I feel like I'm doing that. But I'm finding more and more areas in my life where I feel like I should say something to someone, like I see someone um, not doing something or doing something, and it comes from Christian accountability. In my family, in the church, in general, people that I know that have professed to me personally that they're saved, that they should be living for God, but they're doing something that they should not be doing, and I cannot bring myself to say something to them. And I, I almost feel like it's, because I'm afraid they might get mad at me, because I'm afraid I might lose their support, because then if I say, hey, you should not be doing this, they can cause further issues. I've, I've always struggled with speaking my mind when I shouldn't speak my mind, and now I'm afraid to say things when I probably should. And I know that we should, especially within the church, we should be able to say that, and then if there's still... Not doing it, you take someone with you. I know the steps. I can't bring myself to take that step and be that voice because I'm afraid of what that might bring. I'm afraid that they might throw something back at me that I'm not doing right or whatever it might be. There's a fear there. There's a barrier there. And I feel like it's damaging relationships that I have because I have these things I really need to say and I can't say them.
0: First of all, we'll pray, we'll commit to pray for you as you go through the event. There's a couple things. First of all, you, this has been my experience. I've had quite a bit of experience with, with that. Even though know, I hate it and it's not in my flesh, I wouldn't do it. Like I only do Master of the because the Spirit moves me to do so because in my flesh I just couldn't do it. I would never know, confront anybody around. If I really needed them to stop doing something, I would try to trick them and stop doing it. That's basically what you do. I do. I can never do myself. In, in the Spirit, I can do that. So, i had some experience from experience, and I will tell you this, when you go to hold somebody accountable, if you have a fear that they may bring up something that they think that you're doing wrong, they will. So, you just need to face the fear. Um, they may be right, you may be doing something wrong. And we say, you need that, you need that to tell you what that is, so you can get over it, right? And um, they may also be wrong. And then, if they're wrong, you can say, well, I think they're wrong. And then they have an out too, because if, if they think they're right, and
2: you think they're wrong, they can bring back to somebody else just as you can. So, um, the second thing is, I think uh, with that, I mean, I'm, I'm treating everybody here. Um, the number one thing that stops people from holding people kind of
0: accountability kind of is, is emotion. You get into it and you start thinking, well, I, I'm afraid of what they'll think or uh, afraid of what might happen. Or, I
2: feel insignificant, insecure, things like that. You need to do it, because the other person's life is in your hands. They may not accept that, they may not agree with that, but you need to do it, because the other person's life is in your hands. Um, they're not, if they're doing something, that they're truly
0: interested sin, they're not building the future that God wants for them. Rather, they're building something that is
2: worm-ridden, and they need to know that. It's not like, well, they don't want to know that, it doesn't matter. Right? some days I don't want to drink water I have a problem with dehydration but I know I need to drink water so what do I do? I drink water you know, it's like the need, same way spiritual living, you know somebody who needs to be held accountable, you need to do that they need you to do that at the same time, you have to come with grace and salt, so you can't come emotional, you can't come angry, the last, so somebody's blowing say, say you want to talk to somebody about temper tantrums. they're going temper champions you want to be talking about that? You don't talk to them about that during the temper tantrum, because that's not productive. And you don't talk, you don't wait until they're not having a temper tantrum, and then go talk to them out of anger, because that's also not productive, right? So you have to do it in a God's way. And then once we know we're going to do it in a godly way, then we trust God to do it through us. Matthew 18, accountability, really, is not
0: something we do at all. It's something that God does through us. And it's a very good word. I feel your pain. Um especially if God has recently made a change in you and you feel like, how oh, you want to do this, you want to take that on, uh, you have to. You don't uh,
4: want to. But yeah, well you're
0: feeling pushed or driven to
2: you by the Lord. Yes, exactly. So and I would encourage us all to be doing that. And that probably means somebody in your near future could come to you and say, look, I don't think, I don't think that's good. Will. The other thing I would say is two things. Number one, you can always ask somebody, say, I would like to talk to you about something I think is a sin. Is it okay if I do that? Now, if they say no, then you say, okay, well, what about Matthew 18? Because now you can hold them accountable because they're not willing to be held accountable. Right? You don't have to get into the other thing at all. You can say, well, are you really? And then they'll, they'll say, okay, fine. It's Matthew
0: 18, fine. That's what Jesus said. I'll get in and I'll let you do it. Okay, and then you can talk to them all. You can talk to them all.
2: So you can back it off one step. And then the second thing is, always oh, questions are good. Not leading questions that make you look like an idiot. Like, wouldn't only an idiot say that? You know, not like that. But hey, um, I have been feeling like I saw you do this and I don't know your motivations or why they and I've been feeling like that is in contrast to this scripture. Would you agree with me? You know, so you're asking questions. Give them an opportunity to disagree. Uh, now if they disagree and after your conversation they still disagree, or if they getting badly, then that's where you bring another person the next time, one or two additional. to let
0: them judge between. Them. So are you right or is that right? The tr- this is the truth.
2: And until until we get this right, we will never be the healthy church that God intends us to be. If you think somebody else is in sin, you should be going to talk to them about it. And some of the time, you should be wrong. Until you have gone to practice Matthew 18 accountability with somebody and found out you were wrong, they actually weren't in sin, you are not doing Matthew 18 accountability correctly. Because nobody gets a swing and a hit every time at that. Which means you're not getting enough at bats. Every time you're right, if you're waiting so long to judge them. You know for sure that they're in sin before you go. Then you're, that's wrong. It ought to be as complicated. Conv- hey, you know. Hey, Jason. I saw the other day. I saw this. Uh, you know. Seems contrary to Proverbs seven. Do you agree? Disagree? I disagree. Okay. Let's talk about this. We talk about it some more. I- I'm sure it's contrary to Proverbs seven. Jason, sure it's not. Okay, well, let's get together with somebody else and talk it out and see. Because I do think it is. Okay, fine. you know, And that's how it should be. She's so casual, the perception is so casual, that we all ought to be comfortable with it. Though. Go ahead. I don't think anybody has part of that.
0: Dating, dating, so there you go. Oh, my goodness. And where would we be if we hadn't? <laughs> well, out of that comes the promise of, a, you know, Continues the promise of an eternal heir on the throne, he was Jesus. It's a good thing, David's in of And the baby died, which was terrible. And all the females in David's family were used poorly in the daylight because of the sin. That's terrible. But he stayed the course and became a man after God's own heart. He of that. So he did stop. My experience has been I always, I'm going sound critical, I always feel more negatively about things that I think people are doing that sin than I should so when I
2: think somebody's doing something that's saying, "I will." Be. I'm not judging them, but I think it's horrible. I'm like, "Why would you do that? Why would she do that? That's terrible!" And then I get all worked up about it, and then I can't go talk to them about it because I'm too emotional. So don't do that. Don't follow my example on that, regardless. Okay. All right. So we're gonna pray in closing. We do have a membership meeting on the calendar. It is meant to be a five-minute thing because there are no motions on that agenda. Um, so we didn't get that done, and then we have a block party in. 53 minutes so we get back on, we're ready to go okay and I'll be, I need a
4: volunteer to go get ice.
2: and somebody's got to purchase ice and got a baptismal load of the water and, and set everything up and that's you know, there's a lot a lot of physical labor to be done so let me just pray for
0: us and we'll you free. Father in heaven thank you so much for being in our midst today I thank you for this message you sure corrected me uh, I don't know maybe everybody else might yeah that's not really good uh, some like Alicia I've heard from you today, I'm sure there were others. I saw conviction in their faces. I saw people serious of considering what it is that you're asking them to do and to be. Uh, pray Lord that as we walk it out these next like 20 days and we walk that's going to tomorrow that day, that we will be able to say that we are walking with our Lord Jesus Christ. That He is guiding us, leading us, he's in us, and we are in, him, and we are walking with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that way
2: seven days a week, every day. And I know some days are so hard and long, and it's tempting, it's tempting to fill in the gaps ourselves, and one little gap might not send us off the right path, um, but it just might. And so, Father, I ask that we would be wise, that we would be discerning, that we would be as free as possible from the ministry of evil spirits and the world and the teachings in our flesh, and um, Lord, that we would be spoken that we would be loving and caring and kind toward one another and toward anybody who would be willing to have that kind of a relationship with us, and we'd be an example of your people blessed. Shoot. If we try to recount the blessings that we have, uh,
0: we would get one of those big white notepads up here and it would be filled completely, and we'd be
2: another and another and another, and the service would never end if we would be honest with ourselves because you've given us so many blessings. Some of those blessings in this room. are am blessed the brothers and sisters who are present
0: and desire to follow you, and blessed to be a part of this church, foolishly blessed. Lord, and I pray that I'll be foolishly on fire. You are an awesome God, and we're going to follow you everywhere that you take us. I hope the one who's still hurting is still wrestling with this Help I hope the one who needs to be held accountable and willing to do that for them. I hope the one who needs so to hold somebody else accountable and is willing to do that for them. God help us. and we pray this in Jesus' name.
2: All right. So give us just a few minutes to get organized, we'll, and we'll do the membership meeting, and then we'll start setting up.